am going to share on all the months. Okay. Hello, everybody. Stay with me. I'm going to share on our group. Sam is so good on doing this. <laughs> when everything works as it's supposed to, huh? Right? Uh, All right. Posting uh, over there. All right, all right, we are live. Welcome to one more episode of the Art of Being podcast. I'm your host, Betty Hoyt. I'm here today with Leanne Watanabe. I thank you so much for being here with me today. I am so happy to have Leanne today here. She is a lifestyle transformation uh, coach empowering women by teaching them how to lift heavy stuff. As a former exercise addict, Leanne's message for women out there is simple. Strength comes in all forms, shapes, and sizes. Instead of beating your body into submission, she helps women discover their superpower. <laughs> Today, she's sharing her own journey using extreme exercise and diet as an emotional crush. This is such a very important subject. Leanne, <laughs> thank you for being here with me. Oh my goodness, thank you for having me. My pleasure. I'm excited. <laughs> so tell me, how uh, you are a transformational coach. You've been in this uh, fitness industry for over 20 years. Yes. And how did you uh, notice that there was an issue with this extreme exercise and diet? What happened? Tell me your story. Well, I think it started when I was very young. Um, I come from a very uh, traumatic family upbringing. And I noticed uh, very young that I would always sort of deal with emotions going on at home through, uh, actually, it was like obsessive cleaning at first. I would get into this like obsessive uh, rearranging everything, constantly cleaning. And over time, even as a young child, I would notice that um, I would fixate on certain things, either cleaning, tidying my room, or organizing and reorganizing all my school stuff. I was a very, um, I was very like hyper focused on school and getting good grades. And it was all these like obsessive compulsive tendencies. So I come from a background of addiction. Um, both of my parents are currently recovered uh, from uh, crystal methamphetamine addiction. And growing up in an environment like that, you know, you just, uh, I think I used stuff like cleaning, going to school, doing my homework, all of that to kind of tune out all the chaos that was going at home. And coupled with that, my <laughs> my parents to me personally you know everybody has their story right and your own personal experience it, it is my experience and my memory that they were hyper focused on my weight from a very young age um, my mom was a young mom she was a teen mom she had me at 17 and all i remember is also her 
being super focused on her own weight and being unhappy with her body. And as being the firstborn to my mom and watching her, I thought she had a beautiful body. And here I was, this chubby kid, and she always complained about her body and she would always comment on the size of my body. I was I was a chubby kid, you know, it, it was what it was. <laughs> um, so I think I, at a very young age, probably from, I think my first memory was in kindergarten of being sort of teased for being a little bit bigger than the other kids. And then I would go home and tell my mom and, you know, my mom would say, well, you can lose weight, you have such a pretty face and so on and so forth. And so that kind of started, it kind of started this like, okay, I already had these obsessive compulsive tendencies with re repetitive behaviors. And then I think I learned very young that my worth was literally weighed or based upon my weight. My like, I, I think I, that's how I internalized it, that I was not uh, cute enough or pretty enough or, or little enough, skinny enough. So I needed to overcompensate by being a really excellent student. So that's how it started. And I tried everything I was doing, you know, Richard Simmons went into the oldies videos in my living room as a young girl. Um, I was, you know, constantly trying to exercise. And then um, I think it, you know, when I finally got to be a young adult and I um, started to go to attend UH, I went, to, I was in college, I met my first boyfriend. And <laughs> that was my very first boyfriend. And it was, it was, um, and he loved me at this heavier weight and I couldn't believe it. You know, I was super, shocked like how could anybody love me or be interested in establishing a relationship with me because i was fat that's how i took it you know and then it just kind of spiraled i think what happened was you know like anything what happens with your first uh heartbreak i took my first heartbreak as uh i took the blame and i blamed everything on not being uh thin enough you know um you know, teenage love, it's so, I think about it now that now that I'm in my 40s and I think it's really ridiculous. But at the time, you know, everything seems so epic. Everything oh, is yeah. devastating. So basically he was he was talking to another gal behind my back and I and I was devastated. And I, I literally blamed myself. I said, he's doing this because she's skinny and I'm not. And that was the first instance where I think everything kind of culminated, where I took all my previous trauma, with these weight issues from my family upbringing. And then I kind of threw it all onto this relationship and um, internalized it. And that sort of like lit the match or threw the match in the fire, so to speak. So right away I joined Jenny Craig and this was back in 1997. And I think that was the biggest mistake because that program, even though it taught me a lot in terms of the educational piece of what you should eat and portion size and all that, the behaviors of that program in terms of calorie restriction, weekly weigh-ins, fixating on the number on the scale, like that is the end-all be-all. I think that sort of created this disordered relationship early on with, with fitness and food for me. And I remember for the seven months I was in the program, I did lose almost 50 pounds, but I was very, at that point, I left very, I left with an eating disorder, actually, you know, like an undiagnosed eating disorder and an exercise disorder. 
And so that's kind of where it first started. And then like any, see exercise is so weird because nobody really considers the dark side of exercise, right? They never, they think it's good for you. So coming from like a, a family of addiction, I think it was looked upon, well, at least it's a good addiction. It's exercise. How can that be bad for you? Like, like we know anything good in too many doses, you know, you eat too many apples a day. If you're eating way more apples in calories and apples and you're burning off, you're going to gain weight from apples, right? Anything good for you can also be bad. So um, it just kind of spiraled after there. And I was just in search of, you know, what could I do more to fuel this sort of like addictive lifestyle in terms of with controlling my emotion with controlling my food and controlling my fitness. And then I started teaching at the gym a bunch. I started doing marathons. I started doing triathlons. And then I, I started doing ultra marathons. And then I started doing half Ironmans. And it was just, you know, it's increasing, getting more, like finding the next hit kind of getting, you know, what's the next big thing? What's the next thing I can do? Because you keep running into a plateau. Wow. Wow. Sorry. Well, I saw, I see so many. I want to go back to, like, you see your mom, right? And she's this beautiful yeah. person. Yeah. But she doesn't see that way, right? No. Like if she, and the message that you got from that, like, hey, she's beautiful and she doesn't think that is enough. Yeah. That's the message that you start oh, yeah. with you. Oh yeah, for sure it starts there. And that's why I I I just I don't have kids, but I think I wonder if other parents realize just how important their relationship is with their kids and their behaviors and how it affects their kids. Even to this day, you know, like even in my forties, it's still I still get emotional about it because yeah, she, and I, and I, you know, I've done a lot of inner work to know that she did the best she could, but it's just funny how something that you don't even think of in the moment, it like, it, it sticks with me. Like I have these memories that are ingrained in my head. And if I go back and talk to her about it, I don't, I think she wouldn't really remember, you know, but it has stayed with me. And so I've yeah. in the in the past, you know, since in my early 30s, I've worked really hard to start to heal some of that and like to be able to release it. Yeah. But yes, that was the message that mom, I feel mom is so beautiful. Mom doesn't think she's beautiful. And then mom is fixating on me not being beautiful. Yeah. So it was sort of like I was like, gosh, if she doesn't think she's pretty and she's hounding me about not being skinny enough, I must be an ugly duckling, you know? Yeah. And that's kind of what, what I had to kind of like struggle with from a really young age. Yeah. And yeah. then you also start affecting your self-worth. Oh, yes. And then you could see that when you have your boyfriend and a breakout, I think that solidify like, see, mom was right. Yes. Now you had an evidence that what she's been telling you mm -hmm. was right. She mm -hmm. left me because I'm not skinny yes. enough. I'm not pretty enough. I like solidified. Like we found evidence. Yes. What mom said is true. Exactly. And that formed like a solid belief right there. 
definitely especially um I didn't have my own family for a really long time so when I met my first boyfriend who actually is my husband now he's my husband this boyfriend we met at 18 we're in our we're 44 and 45 now so we've been together forever but he was my very first boyfriend and um I got really close with his family because his parents kind of took me in you know I was just out of high school starting college I did it all on my own and his parents they took me as their own in and I lived with them for a time and they helped us out for a really long time and um, so they became sort of like my my go-to family. So I remember when I found out, I called my my now mother-in-law. And I think what I was really reaching for was some kind of like a motherly support figure that I had been missing for a really long time. Things like, things that you like, that my friends could go to their moms to, their first heartbreak, um, when they're like deciding, should I go on birth control? When you have your first like weird yeast infection, all these stuff, like you want to call your mom and be like, I didn't have that. I like totally was solo and I had to figure it out. And when I met my boyfriend at the time and his, he came with this whole family, I was felt like a sigh of relief, like, oh my goodness, I now have like this little sort of support system that I hadn't had. And it's really nice. You know, she really loves her son. She calls on him. She checks on him. She wants to spend time with him. It was so foreign to me from where my upbringing was. And so I had, when this happened, I was super devastated. And I reached out to her and I told her all my fears. I said, he called this girl because she's skinnier than me. And what her response was, she was like, well, and so I said, I kicked him out. <laughs> kicked him out of my college <laughs> dorm. And she said, well, you shouldn't have kicked him out because he's probably going to go to the girl's house. And it was all the answers that I wasn't looking for. You know, she did not, I, I don't know. I know what was I expecting? That was her son, right? Well, I, I think what I wanted was for her to, to, to say really, no, he didn't. You're beautiful. You're fine. You know, this, this too shall pass. Let me give you a hug. You'll work it out. Um, it's ridiculous that you're fixating on your weight. But to me, her passiveness about it reaffirmed, like you said. So not only is my mom's constant childhood badgering of my weight, like you have such, like, you know, you have such a pretty face, let's pay you a dollar a pound to lose weight, you know, constant comments she would say that would just sting me. And then I have my now mother-in-law basically saying, hey, <laughs> don't kick him out you know he might do. so it was it was very i mean at that it's time interesting because um a lot of times we look for those confirmation and those assurance and outside of us oh right? yes and at the time it didn't matter if your future mother-in-law would come to you and say don't worry honey that is not why he was calling her because you're beautiful that would not matter. Yes, right. Because the trauma was still inside of exactly. you. I didn't do but the work. You were still looking for something outside of you to give you that assurance, right? And yes. you know that you had to go through your healing yes. in order really to you know heal that part inside of you. And yes. That's a, a work that we can only do to ourselves. Yes. Right? It, it's There's an no inside job. It's an inside job. It took me a really long time to stop seeking affirmation and validation from the outside. I mean, I think my best advice to people is it's it's an 
a lifelong work in progress, you know, situation. But yes, I, I did have like a very much sort of victim woe is me mentality uh, early on because I really did believe 100% that all these things were happening to me because I was a heavyweight. <laughs> I mean, I know it sounds ridiculous now that I've done the work, but I, when you're in it, it's sort of like you can't really, you're in a pit and you just yeah. can't crawl out of the pit. No, you know? No, you can't. Yeah. And so, um, how did you get out of it? Like, how did you eventually saw, okay, I'm using this as, as a crutch, right? This is an emotional crutch. I want to avoid all this challenge yeah. and in my head and all of this. So you would do more and more and more. How did you actually look and say, stop? That's not the way. How yeah. did you get to that? That was, it was such a long road to really get there. And unfortunately, I wish I could have said, you know, I did all the inner work and I, and I found it through, you know, through doing these, you know, balanced methods and all that. But really for me personally, it took a traumatic event, another traumatic event to totally make me uh, realize what I was doing, which was relying on exercise and, and dieting control to numb myself, like how people numb themselves with drugs or alcohol or sex or whatever else. My, my drug of choice was exercise and food control. You know, starving myself when I felt ugly or not skinny enough or not pretty enough, and then doing these intense races to really push my body to the limit. Sort of like a inner inner I like like self mutilation. You know, some people cut. I used exercise to basically punish myself, and I brainwashed myself to believe that I was doing these epic races for so long because I was strong and powerful and disciplined. But really, I knew I was, now I know I was like running away from dealing with stuff, you know? So the first time it was dealing with my first teenage heartbreak. And then the second time was when it started to like, there was levels of, of the addiction where it totally ramped up. You know, it went from low level addiction to like medium level to like red zone. And the second time it started to ramp up again was when I was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis. And that was like in 2000 and... I don't know, four or five, they told me I had this stomach disease. And they basically were like, you should really cut down on your exercise and do all this stuff, my doctors. And I was like, yeah, yeah, no, I wasn't, an, I wasn't ready to hear it. You know, I was like, I was like, disease, I'm like the healthiest person ever. I do marathon, I run a polyakala. What are you talking about? Give me the meds. And I went on my way, uh, took all the meds, felt like a champ. A year later, I, I had another episode what they call is a flare. So ulcerative, I was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis. It's an irritable bowel disease. It's not IBS, it's much more severe. Um, basically my immune system t attacks my colon because it sees it as a foreign object. So basically it came down to the doctors are telling me, you know, stress is a, uh, stress will increase symptoms and will put you in these constant flares. So I need to de-stress. And one of the, the ways I need to de-stress is limit my exercise. So I didn't have, I, didn't, I wasn't ready to listen to it. And then after this second episode, when I was in a flare again, then it was a constant, it became me battling this disease. 
which ramped up my exercise and food addiction more because I really believed in my brain that I was going to outrace, out exercise, out diet this disease. And then I did for a really long time, all the while I'm on constant medication. I'm doing infusions um, for treatments to try and get me back into remission. I'm doing shots. I'm doing pills. I'm doing everything. And it's just slowly getting worse and worse. And my remissions are going further and further away from each other. And I'm having more constant flares. And um, but I still operated the same. I still had this very funnel vision, laser like focus that I knew what I wanted to do and nobody could tell me otherwise. And then in 2018, I was uh, I unexpectedly got pregnant unexpectedly. Um, you know, I never kids were never in, in the cards for me from a very, very young age. I knew I didn't want children. Um, personal choice. Uh, I know now that I had made that decision because I think I was involved in a lot of family trauma. And subconsciously, I kind of put up this mental block with having kids because of, of these issues that I didn't work out. And so I got pregnant. And I freaked out. <laughs> freaked out. I remember calling when I found out I called my husband freaking out like I was having a nervous breakdown. Because I knew my life was going to change and I was like, oh my God, I had all this stuff I still wanted to do and I was on the on the verge of doing all this stuff, exercise and diet related, you know, in my mind, more racing, other yeah. races what I wanted do? to do. Huh? What did you do? <laughs> well, I freaked out and then I calmed down and then I got on board with it. And I was like, okay, this is meant to be. The universe is giving me a message. I did everything my husband wanted us to do in terms of trying not to get pregnant. You know, I was on birth control and all that. So this is like a message from the universe. And then I started to get on board. And then I found out I was going to have twins, identical twin boys. And I flipped out again. <laughs> you know, when you're finding out the gender and all that. Yeah, yeah. And then I flipped out again. And then I, I got on board and then I started to make plans. And then I started to like, I can make this work, you know? And I was like, um, I was like planning, you know, like, oh, okay. I could train my clients and I'll have one baby in the front and one baby on the back. And then at almost five months, I miscarried. And, uh, you know, nobody saw it coming. I did all the testing after so you you know, I, I tried to do figure out answers and they can only tell me this is the way it goes. This is the body's natural way of saying it wasn't feasible. And then, you know, they I went into a spiral and then I, you know, they're like identical twins. You know how high risk that is. That's why you don't see, you know, they were trying to give me all these answers because I was just trying to find all these answers. But... I went into a very, very deep, dark depression. And to be honest, I didn't really want to wake up anymore. And I was, I, I knew like, this is not, what is wrong with me? Like, I tried, I tried to throw myself back into dieting and exercising. I tried to like, Every major trauma I've had, it was so easy for me to put on my like big girl panties and go run it out, go exercise it out, go race it out. That's what that's what worked. 
Yeah. And not this time. Not this time. And that was the that was it. That was it for me. That was a turning point where I could no longer. I was so depressed. I was like, what am I doing this for? What this is so stupid. Why am I exercising so much for? For what? Why do I want to be skinny for? For what? Like it, it has no meaning, no purpose, no value. Like I can't, you know, then I took it the other way. Like I can't, I'm not even worthy enough to be able to carry children, like have a baby. Like I couldn't even do this for my husband who's wanted this forever, but he accepted my decision on not on not expanding our family. And then look, I can't even deliver. So it was like, it was a, a whole mess of stuff, but that was basically what I attributed like a sort of transformation in terms of me realizing that I just couldn't exercise, extreme exercise these emotions out of me. And I just had to kind of sit with it and go through it. And that was like the most to date painful experience I've ever had to do above far above and beyond taking out my colon and having the surgery and wearing an ostomy pouch and it just I mean wow it's wow cra it's crazy wow. <laughs> like life gave you so many wake-up calls yes right? life knocked on your door so many times to say girl stop this yeah, you are beautiful. You're worthy <laughs> just as you are, and you are like, uh, uh, don't tell me that. Yeah, I know better. Right? I know better. And you yeah. kept pushing and pushing. Mm -hmm. So I think that is a very powerful message to everybody out there that it's suffering and is using something to numb themselves. Yes, something to push away feeling the feelings and get in touch with that and going inward. Because life will continue, and that happens to me in my story, life will continue to show you gifts, right? To say, hey, stop. Yeah. Stop. Right? This the path, this path is not a good path, right? Exactly. And for you it's like extreme. It was extreme. My God. I and you are still here. I know. <laughs> You can't get oh rid of me. All of this, this is crazy. That losing a child, I don't think there's anything worse in a woman's life. Yeah. Than losing a child. I don't think, I, I don't know, um, you know, but for me, my view, there, there's nothing else there worse in a woman's life than that. And you overcame. So we, we, I know we are, we're getting to the end of this, <laughs> but I want to, I want to, um, you to what is this message like you went through all of this what is what is this message because you've changed you're not using this you're still in the fitness industry you're still a transformation i love that transformational coach that use exercise but do you empower women in a different way now yes so what is the message for people out there that they're still struggling and numbing themselves i think I think the message is that, yes, we have to really take a, a a deep, hard look, like how are we numbing ourselves? But don't be misled in thinking that. I think for a really long time, I really was able to sort of push aside that there was, a, there was an issue because, again, there's a great area with exercise and food. And, um, you know, we tend to surround ourselves with people who sort of like, in, I don't want to say enable, but are like-minded. 
So with my extreme fitness behaviors, I was just naturally drawn to other athletes in the arena. But, you know, we're all coming at it from a different mindset. I think my message is to look at how are you tuning in or tuning out every day in terms of what may be going on inside that you're trying to either press pause on or um, get away from or distract yourself with. I mean, that's hard because it's it's a painful process and it's work, you know, it's not easy, but um, a lot of my clients, I think it's, it's you know, it's obvious. It's, so, it's easy when it's obvious because with most of my clients, it's food or wine. You know, they, but they know this, they know they, because they tell me exactly what we're saying here is I need to shut out the day. So I drink wine at night. Right. So that's, it's, it's clear. It's like black and white. But when we get into sort of like this muddy waters of, okay, you're doing something good for your body. What is the line where it's too much? I think that's where you need to really take a critical look at where is your, your line where it's getting to be into the, you know, sort of like the danger zone. <laughs> Got it. That is a great tip. Yes. Look at, even though it's a healthy activity, right? But there's a line there that's just asking, right. where is the line? Did I cross the line? Right. Um, I, I'm so we. I could spend uh, like hours. <laughs> we can do part two. <laughs> we can do, but we should do a part two for sure. I thank you so much. I wanted to, uh, if people wanted to come back with you and have more questions and ask you more things and even want to work with you, what is the best way to, for them to reach out to you? I think the best way is through Instagram, just messaging me on my Instagram handle. It's at Leanne Watanabe. If you are not on Instagram because you're not into the social media, then you can always reach me on my website, my contact page on my website.